Thank you very much, John, for reading God's Word uh, for us today. Good morning to all of you, to the church that meets here at uh, ARPC at Adam. Now, let me begin by asking a question, which is, have you ever taken a remedial class? Now, don't raise your hand if it embarrasses you. I have, in fact, many times in the history of my schooling life. And so I remember while my classmates were enjoying the school holidays, there I was wasting my summer away attending six weeks of remedial classes. So one class was to teach me algebra again because I flunked algebra. And another was a class to teach me English again because I did not cut it. And I was made to uh, take those remedial classes as a requirement before I could move up, before I could be promoted to the next level in high school. Now, let me tell you something interesting about remedial classes, since you guys are all smart, you've never taken it, right? Something interesting about remedial classes, and this I did not tell my mother, is that they do not teach you anything new in remedial classes. They teach you the same stuff. And so the classes that I attended, they repeated the same algebra class, algebra lessons. They repeated the same English lessons that they had taught me before. They repeated to me the same stuff. Now, of course, I was smart enough not to go home and tell my mother about it. <laughs> Otherwise, my mom would have scolded me and said, well, if you listen the very first time, then I wouldn't have wasted money, you know, paying those summer classes. Now, today, when we begin a series of study from Deuteronomy, it's very interesting for us to know that the word Deuteronomy literally means second law, second law. And um, it does not mean that it is a new addition to the set of laws that Moses gave the people. It is second law in that it is a repetition of the law. And so you can call it a remedial class, a remedial class that the people needed to take, that they needed to hear again from Moses. They needed to hear the same laws again. Why? Well, because they did not listen the first time. They flunked. They failed to obey them 40 years ago. And so this time around, the people needed to hear them again as a requirement before they could move to the next level, before they could enter the promised land. And so that is why that when you and I look at chapter 1 today, the scope of today's sermon, I will not be surprised if you were to look at it and say, hey, you know, I've heard this before, or I think I read this somewhere. You are right, because it's the same old story. It's a rerun from Exodus and from Numbers. Why is it a rerun? Because Moses is repeating himself. Not because he is old, friends, not because he is senile, not because he is naggy, but he is retelling all these for a different purpose. He has a different message for the present generation. And his message is this. The Lord handed you blessings, but you slighted them as curse. You slighted them as burden. What God meant as blessings, the people scorned as blight. God's boon, they made pain. 
And this is the message that the present generation, the present generation was called Gen W. W stands for wilderness. They were born during the wilderness. Gen W needs to hear them again, needs to hear what happened, and so be warned not to repeat the sins of their predecessors. And so firstly, what was God's blessing to his people that they took as bane? Well, Moses repeats it to them. Chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. Look at the slides in front of you. The Lord our God said to us in Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all their neighbors in the Arabah, in the hill country and in the lowland and in the Negev and by the sea coast, the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give to them and to their offspring after them. And so the Lord promised long ago to Abraham that he is going to bring him to the land and he is going to bless him and make him into a great nation who shall be a blessing to others. Yeah, you can read more about that from Genesis chapter 12. The Lord now hands this blessing to uh, the generation of slaves whom the Lord rescued by his mighty hand from Egypt. And these slaves, by the way, they did witness God's blessing the blessing of posterity, the blessing of posterity way back in Egypt. So I mean, despite the Pharaoh's edict to have all firstborn Hebrew males slaughtered, despite that, they increased all the more in number, so much more that they were seen as a threat to Egypt. And Moses reiterated this uh, blessing of posterity, of how God has increase their number. The Lord, uh, uh, Moses tells them, chapter 1, verses 10 to 11, slide, the Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, make you a thousand times as many as you are, and bless you, as he has promised you. So in short, Moses tells them, and he says, you know, look at you. Look at your numbers now. And he tells them, well, you have not seen anything yet. You have seen nothing yet. Because the Lord is not just going to double you or triple you. The Lord is going to make you a thousand times more. And you know, I read that the word there, multiplied by a thousand times, is the word milupo. Mil-lupo. So it's not double, quadruple, triple, but it's milupo. The Lord is going to milupo you and bless you, Moses tells them, because your number is not going to plateau. The Lord will continue to bless them in number. And so is that blessing? Is that curse? Is that boon or is that bane? So question for us. So let's say our numbers are increasing. You walk into service today, and there are no more seats available. And so you had to stand at the back. So he had that over in Bishan just a few weeks ago, 60 people standing at the back. Is that blessing or is that curse? 
And I know your answer. Your answer is, it depends. If the sermon is short, boom. If food does not run out downstairs, it's a blessing. But you see, friends, food does run out, especially on the weeks that it is free. Suddenly, your appetite becomes humongous, doesn't it? And so food does run out. And the sermon is not always short, right? I'm not going to mention names because my election is coming up soon. <laughs> so is the increase in number good or bad? So Moses has his take on it. And he says, verse 9, he says, I am not able to bear you by myself because the Lord has blessed us and increased our number. And then in verse 12, he says, how can I bear by myself the weight and the burden of you and your strife? So Moses recollects his experience dealing with a multitude of people. It was blessing that turned to burden. Blessing that turned to burden. Why? Because of the persistent strife, the persistent quarreling, complaining of the people. Moses did, in fact, sound that out to God. And you find that in Numbers, Numbers chapter 11. Moses tells God, you know, God, I'm not able to carry all these people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. And he tells God, you know, if you treat me like this, kill me at once. So parents, uh, you, your Gen Z kids sometimes tell you, please kill me. If they don't want to continue in the conversation or they want out of the activity, it's not a youth lingo. Moses is the original. <laughs> Moses tells God, please kill me. Blessing made burden. The blessing of posterity was made into a curse because of the people's strife. And Moses' Moses's father-in-law, Jethro, I mean, he saw it with his own eyes. And daddy was perhaps worried that his son-in-law may neglect the daughter and the family. And so Jethro, he played consultant, and then he advised Moses. Advised Moses to appoint judges to hear the people's gripes so that these judges will bear the burden, or rather share the burden with Moses and so that the people will go to their place in peace. So appoint judges to take some burden off Moses, and so that the people will be happy, they will go in peace. Moses tells all these to remind the people of God's blessing of posterity. It was a blessing, but it was a blessing that turned into burden. Turned into burden because of their strife. And yet, Despite their strife, the Lord did not renege on his promise to bless them. Despite their strife, the Lord still multiplied their numbers. And because of their perennial conflicts with one another, the Lord, in his commitment to bless the people, he moved Moses to appoint judges who are now given the responsibility to judge fairly. This responsibility is to remain on the appointed leaders even after they've settled into the promised land. Why? Because, verse one, uh, chapter 1, verses 16 to 7, judgment is God's. Judgment is God's. And so he says, 
and I charge your judges at that time. Hear the cases between your brothers, and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the alien who is with him. You shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's. So the appointment of judges, come to think of it, is evidence of God's commitment to bless his people. It is proof of God's grace upon them that despite their disobedience to his laws, you know, God is wanting to continue to bless them. You know, I mean, you come to think of it, if everybody obeyed God's commandments, think about this, there'll be no need for judges, right? There'll be no need for judges because there'll be no stealing, there'll be no lying, there'll be no cheating, there'll be no murder, there'll be no immorality. If everybody obeyed God, there'll be no strife between neighbor and neighbor. There'll be no cases to be heard. But the appointment of judges proves that God still wants to bless the stubborn, disobedient people. And this appointment of judges, it's not just a stopgap measure or a solution. The appointment of judges shows that God wants the blessing to spill over even to the aliens, even over to the other nations. So that when foreigners come to Israel, when they come to work for the Israelites, when foreigners who belong to a different race come to Israel, they have access to justice without discrimination. Which means that if they work for an Israelite, they'll be paid right. Because if not, the judges are going to rule in their favor. They work for an Israelite, they will be fed well. They will be sheltered well. And guess what? On the Sabbath, they will get their full days of rest as well, just like everybody else. And so all who come to the nation of God will be blessed because of God's good laws. And because there are judges who are appointed to deliver justice, they will be blessed. And because the judgment is the Lord's. The word judgment here has the basic meaning of justice, which means that justice belongs to the Lord, meaning it is the Lord who possesses real justice. It is only in Him that we find true justice. And so what it means for us, sideline, is as God's people, we must always deliver righteous judgment. No siding with the wealthy. No siding with the powerful. No seeking a fellow's approval. No partiality, no favoritism. Why? Because God, our God, is just, and we as his people must aim to deliver the same. So Moses retells all these, their increase in number, the appointment of judges over them. Moses retells these to emphasize God's commitment to bless, that God desires all along to bless as he has promised. The problem lies with the people. It is they, the recipients of God's blessings, it is they who have turned God's boon into bane. 
Now Moses is not done. He now reminds them, he then reminds his hearers how they also did the same with God's blessing of land. Next slide, verse 20 to 21. And I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord your God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And so Moses tells the people, there it is, the land that the Lord promised your fathers. There's the land. You wish to gather intelligence about the land? Go ahead. And so they sent 12 night agents were deployed to them. The mission was to check the terrain. The mission was to find out which way to go. The mission was to also gather sample data. And the sample that they gathered confirmed God's good plan for them. They smuggled out a cluster of big grapes. Big grapes so big that two men were needed to carry the big grapes. And there were also samples of pomegranates and figs as well. You read them more uh, from Numbers chapter uh, 13. But because the other spies reported of the feared Amorites, and they reported of the giant Anakites, they voted against going in to take the land. It's a no-go. Actually, there wasn't any vote. It was more of a mob decision. And so Moses recalls for them, next slide, yet, despite what the spies reported, you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he has brought us up of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. So what does that mean? How do they interpret it? God offers them a good land, but the people took it to mean as a graveyard. God offers them a blessing. They spurned it as a curse. They slighted God's good gift as an evil trap instead. They maligned God. The Lord hated us, they said. He is setting us up to fall into a fatal trap. And so God's blessing of land, they saw it as a graveyard for them to die and to be buried in. And although Moses, although he tried to convince them to recall what God has done for them, Moses, he listed out the many things that the Lord has done for them. The Lord fought the Egyptians for them. The Lord took care of them in the wilderness. The Lord went before them to protect them. The Lord carried them like a father carries his son. You read that from verses 30 to 33. Though Moses recounted for them God's faithfulness, the people did not believe the Lord but rebelled against him. And so they earned the anger of the Lord. The Lord, in his anger, he swore that the faithless generation will never see the promised land, except for Caleb and Joshua. They would all waste and die in the wilderness. Even Moses, sadly, was numbered among them. He too was barred 
from entry, and this was on the people. And so Moses recounts these to tell the people how they spurned God's gift as a curse, to tell them how they saw God's blessing as blight. And so the previous generation, they got their wish. They received curse. They're going to die in the desert. And so the Lord ordered them to go back to the wilderness and wait for their children to grow up and to inherit God's blessing of land. And we read towards the end of chapter 1, after the Lord pronounced his judgment on the rebellious people, guess what happened? Guess what happened? They still disobeyed his command to abort entry. And they went presumptuously on their own. They fastened their weapons of war, and they thought it easy to penetrate the hill country. And so these descriptions of them preparing for war uh, are there to mention, are, there, are mentioned there to underscore their pride. They went on their own. They went completely ignoring God's clear warning, which is, do not go up or fight, for I am not in your midst, lest you be defeated before your enemies. They snubbed God's warning because they thought of his warning as just a, a flippant threat. They thought that they could simply make up for their sins by just reversing their actions in a, in a snap. They thought God to be like a toggle switch. You know what's a toggle switch? You just switch on and switch off at, at your desire. They thought that God was like a toggle switch. Something like, okay, we've sinned, you know, we've admitted wrong. Now let's, let's, let's reset the switch. Let's reboot. Let's get back to where we started. This mindset, friends, this mindset does not work with a covenantal relational God. This mindset rather is only found in an idol and idolater relationship where the idolater just offers whatever he wants to the idol and expect the idol to grant his wish in a snap. But God is not an idol. He desires obedience and repentance. And since there's no repentance, but further disobedience, the people went up on their own and thought it easy to attack the enemies on their own. What happened was that, since there's no repentance and further disobedience, they were chased like bees, attacking and stinging, running cowards. Moses retells these accounts, friends, to remind the people how spurning God's blessing as a curse, how seeing God's good intentions as malicious, how all these earned God's favor and forfeited their experience of blessing in the land. And instead, what they got for themselves was curse. Because of their strife, because of their rebellion, their disobedience, because of their pride, the people languished in the wilderness. And you know how long they languished in the wilderness? The beginning of this chapter, 
Look at verses 2 and 3. It provides us some clue. It gives us some info on the time and the distance. Verse 2 tells us that uh, the journey from Mount Horeb to Kadesh Barnea was 11 days. And then verse 3 tells us that by the time Moses was addressing this people here in Deuteronomy, 40 years have gone by. 40 years have gone by. Now, I was told that a healthy person can walk 40 kilometers a day. 40 kilometers a day. Um, if you can walk 40 kilometers a day, 11 days of walking should cover about 440 kilometers, right? because I took my algebra remedial class, remember? 440 kilometers. 440 kilometers is about the distance between Singapore to KL. But don't try to do that, right? So Horeb to Kadesh Barnea is about the distance between Singapore to KL. 11 days of walking will get you there. But a trip that could have taken 11 days dragged on. Dragged on to 14,000 600 days, 40 years. You know how 40, year, 40 years, how long 40 years is? It's about the same length it took us from moving from cassette tapes to Spotify. That's how long it was. It's about the same time length for us to move from using the calculator to your iPhone. That's how long 40 years is. That was the cost of the people's rebellion. And yet, despite the repeated disobedience of the people, the Lord did not back out on his promise. He did not renege on his promise to bring them to the land. Their children, along with Caleb and Joshua, will now be given the opportunity to possess the land. That is why Moses retells, repeats what he already told before, because his message to them is this. Your predecessors flunked. They failed. They complained. They rebelled. They disobeyed. They took God's blessing to mean as a curse, God's boon to mean bane. And so they received their curse. They received their death. Do not repeat your parents' sins. That was Moses' message to them as he retold the old story that they must have heard before. In closing, it's a short sermon, what does this passage tell us? Well, I have a few for your prayerful reflection. Firstly, what are some of God's blessings that you have now taken to be a burden? Worse, blessings that you now see to be a curse to you. Now, if you don't watch it, you will not be far from maligning God just as the people did. They said, God hates us. It's an evil plot. God is bringing us to this promised land, his so-called promised land, in order to have us killed. What was God's blessing to you that you now see as a curse? Could be your God-given spouse. Could be your God-given children, especially when they reach their teenage years. 
I don't know, it could be your work, you name it. And the reason you no longer see these as blessings is because you are waning in your trust in the good God who has nothing but good plans for you. I mean, he gave you and I his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If he did not spare his precious son for us, why should we even entertain the thought that he is up to something no good for you and I? So Moses retells the accounts. And in retelling, he reminds the people what the Lord has done for them. The Lord saved them from slavery. That the Lord went before them. The Lord fought for them. The Lord searched safe places for them to camp. It would do us good, friends, to deliberately retell ourselves God's acts of love and faithfulness to us. Secondly, in reading the repeat stories here in Deuteronomy, we learn that we should not shy away from reading same old narratives again and again. We must not despise reading same old narratives. Why? Because the exercise can be remedial in purpose. Because God has a different purpose for us at different times, even when we read the same word. You believe that? Yes. Perhaps the reason why we're reading it again and again, same old word, is because we have yet to learn the obedience lesson. Perhaps there's a warning that we are dismissive of. God's same word, read at different times, achieve different purposes. And so, brothers and sisters, do not take reruns of God's word lightly. Similarly, you know, once in a while in the church life, you will get to hear the same sermon, won't you? Same sermon point. The preacher gives a sermon and says, I think I heard this before. And um, have you ever thought that, yes, you've heard it, but that your hearing led to listening? Have you ever thought that the same sermon can actually be speaking a new message to you? You know, I knew of a pastor, this is real and this is funny. After uh, preaching a sermon, he was approached by the song leader. And the singer told the pastor, he said, you know, pastor, sermon that you preach, I heard it before. And the pastor replied and said, you know the song that you and the choir sang? I've heard it before, in fact, a few times. The song and the message may be the same, may be old, but each time they are delivered, they have a new, different purpose and message according to God's plan. Finally, will you look unto Jesus and praise him? Why? Because Jesus was obedient to the Father's mission in coming to this world to save for himself a people who are, you know, you and I, a people who are burdensome. People who are whiners, people who are loveless, people who are stubborn, contentious, people who are sinners. 
And Jesus knew these people, you and I, through and through. Yet, he willingly paid the ransom so that he might redeem for himself these people, which includes you and I. So that he might redeem these people for himself. Which means that Jesus never looked at them. He never looked at us as a burden or as a blight. On the contrary, he became a blight, a curse for us. He died a gruesome death on the cross so that we may be recipients of the blessings of eternal life. God help us. Let us pray. Faithful, loving, and merciful are you to us, O Lord. You did not leave us helpless in our sins, but you rescued us through your Son, our Lord Jesus, who paid costly, so costly, so that we might be forgiven and be reconciled to you. And so may we bask in the blessings of salvation, in the blessings of knowing you and of your will. Lead us to never doubt you or think ill of you as we journey to the day, to the day when we will see our Savior face to face. We pray this in Jesus' name.